Now, we all know there's tons of different CBDs out there, right? Well, there's one that you guys need to try, Hemparita. Simply go to iHemparita.com, click the link right in the description, get the best CBD gummies and the best CBD shooters you can get. I'm telling you, I have some right here. Look, there's a shooter. There's the gummy. One of these gummies is one serving. Half of this shooter is one serving. iHemparita.com. I'm going to look. Hemparita. Get you some. Use promo code search 30 when you cash out. Save yourself 10%. Save yourself 10%. iHemparita.com. The link is right in the description. Promo code serves 30 being cash out. Save yourself 10%. Do it. All right. Well, you can get started. How's it going, everybody out there? We're live again on the Polo Serves 30 podcast. Tonight, I have a lovely guest, Genevieve Rossi, and worst gamer ever. He's on with us tonight, Chris, part of the Z Network. How's everybody doing tonight? How are you guys doing? Good? Good. Good. Chris? Yeah, not bad. It's just a little hot and sticky where I am in the New York, New Jersey area. We have a little bit of a heat wave going on this week. Yeah. So you might hear in the background, like I have my air conditioner and like a bunch of fans going. Same here. Well, I have a fan going. I'm up in my, I record like up in my attic. And I, I mean, I'm in upstate New York as well. I'm in Schenectady and he's in Albany, actually. So they're getting that same nasty, ghost, ugly heat. Did you guys get a lot of rain today too? Up there, where you're at? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So then we, we all got that crappy weather. It was just it's only making it more humid too. Yeah, so. it sucks. Chris, I can't hear you. I can't hear him either. What happened? I don't know. He probably. Yeah, kind. You sound kind of far, but I can hear you. I don't know what happened. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Cool. Somehow it turned down on me. So sorry. Whoops. I was saying, yeah, us big guys, we don't do all that well in this uh, high humidity out here. Yeah. It's true. Uh, we don't either. This heat is. I'm not going to complain about it because I like it better than the winter. I hate winter, so. That's that, true. I probably would prefer the summer to the winter because I don't like snow and stuff like that. So. I hate yeah. it. I can't. I, I hate it. So again, people, we're just, we're going to be discussing Army of Darkness as well as other projects that Genevieve has coming up. You guys this? Oh, Army of Wow, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. I was like, wait, Army of the Dead. Yeah. Army of the Dead. It's easy to make that mistake because the names are so similar, and you know, and and obviously Army of Darkness is one that's been out a long time. You know, I. It's strange that they made the, the name so similar to another movie. I honestly kept confusing it with, I thought there was another one. So I was like, wait, is this a remake? And then I you know, did some research and I was like, oh, wait, no. Okay, cool. I think that's what threw me off, Chris, is when me and you were talking about it earlier. One of us looked up and said it, and the other one corrected the other one. And then it was just, it just I just looked up again. <laughs> yep. It's more automatic, especially if you're a Bruce Campbell fan, to say Army of Darkness. But, ah, this, yes. but this is Zack Schneider's Army of the Dead. 
It was, uh, for me, it didn't really, it felt more like um, an action movie with zombies than like a horror type of thing. But I, I know I know Zack Snyder. That's like his thing is the action, the explosions, and all the beautiful cinematic stuff. Yep, beautiful Concur. cinematics. Concur. Yeah, it wasn't like a, like a pure straight up horror movie. Really, no. it was definitely more of an action movie. It's definitely more of a heist movie. It yeah. also has some very dramatic moments. I think I I've seen it twice already. And I got a little like teary eyed. Especially with the father and daughter relationship that's kind of yeah. central to the film. Mm -hmm. and, and then I've seen it twice. Uh, the first time I went to the movie theater, because it got a limited release at Cinemark Movie Theater. Um, and I just thought it would be great to see it on the big screen. And then some of us zombies got together at the Eastern State Penitentiary a couple weeks ago and did a very special screening of just zombies, all of us zombies together, watching it. That's see now that that had to be That's something cool. had to be fun. Something yeah, like it's that. It's a beautiful penitentiary. If you know if a penitentiary could be beautiful in Philadelphia, I think it's the oldest prison in the country, and I think it was uh, Al Capone spent some time there as well. As uh, oh wow! It's a very famous prison. I think they do these haunted tours there. They no longer have prisoners though, and and coincidentally. Coincidentally, Eastern State Penitentiary is where I filmed Death House a couple of years ago with Kane Hodder, yes. Wallace, and Barbara Crampton. Felissa Rose. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Felissa nice. Rose, yeah. yeah. I actually, I wish I had the magnet next to me. I got, well, I I don't remember if I have the movie. I know the movie's on Netflix, but I have Felissa Rose signed the magnet for me a couple of years ago at a con. Oh, very cool. Very and I gotta, fun. I gotta go back and watch it. She's fun. fun. She's so freaking nice. She's so nice. Now, have you done cons as far as like going as a celebrity? How yeah, was I was guest with her at a con, I think, in uh, Massachusetts. And um, yeah, maybe some other ones as well. I'm trying to think. Was one, was yeah, the one I've done a few cons with her. I've done a bunch of conventions. Um, I've done Chiller. I've done. Um, Monster Robots. I've done, I think, like MonsterCon, maybe was one of them. I do like toy shows, comic book shows. Sometimes I'm a guest, sometimes all different kinds of events. Um, and then um, a couple years ago, I was in the United Kingdom, Birmingham, for uh, Birmingham Horror Con. They flew me out to England uh, for the weekend to do a convention in England. So, yeah, I've done a number of conventions over the years. Yep. The one in Massachusetts, was it? Um and it was probably when I, I know it was when I missed it. I never went to this con in mass. But was it called Scaricon, maybe, possibly? That's it, Scaricon. I did Scaricon. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I did Scaricon with her um, um, both in Massachusetts and then also at the Turning Stone oh. uh, in uh, New York State, which was like a Native American casino. Yep. yep. That's that's the one I usually go to for Scaricon. Yeah. And I was, I was, the, the name was like on my tip of my tongue. Yeah, Scaricon. That was a really fun one. I really enjoyed both of their shows. You know, both were really cool. And the thing with that con, I like the thing I love. I love about that con. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love the big cons like Monster Mania, but that one's like smaller. It's personable. You can go around and meet everybody, and then you can also go around and talk, like actually talk to the celebrities without, you know, people waiting in line because the lines aren't super crazy and all that mm -hmm. stuff. It's just. 
It's it's really fun. I miss Con so freaking much. <laughs> oh, they were really good. I remember the security was really tight at them too. Like they were very careful about I think people going through metal detectors and things like that. Which you know, better safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else that I liked. Um, you know, just very well organized. Everybody was really nice, and all of um, the patrons, the fans that came were really big horror fans and um everybody seems seemed to be there to buy stuff you know they oh. were just there to look that's for sure oh no i'll tell you guys i'll tell you both right now community. one of the biggest supporters of each other huge huge even with podcasting but like every, every so every time i go to cons now i give my wife my money because i'm like a child like I, but like I, like I'll have money set aside for my autographs and then money set aside for stuff I want to buy. But there's been times we go to cons and I get all the autographs I want, and I'm damn near out of money day one, and we're there for the three day weekend. I'm like, oh man. So now I'm like, here, you hold this. I'll, I'll hold a few dollars in case I get hungry or not want something simple. But you hold the chunk of the money because you know how I get. And it's because like there's so much cool things there, so many awesome vendors there, so many awesome celebrities there that you want to meet get all the grass and I can't I cannot help myself. I cannot help myself and I can't wait for these to come back. And they had a great layout too. I like it when you go to a convention it's like one big giant room. Yeah. Um, because sometimes when you have people in a couple different rooms, like you can go through and you get caught up in all the excitement and you forget to go to one of the rooms or something like that, you know? Been there. Yeah, that happens. I know that happens at some of the larger cons that like kind of split things up. Like you feel like you need like a map to make sure you mm-hmm. see everyone, everything. And sometimes it's nice just to be at this big giant room and just walk through the whole big giant room, and um, and, and you know you're going to see everybody. Um, and, and you know, and you're more likely to run into your friends as well too. You know? Yes. I've actually made yeah. some. I made a really good friend at a con. Probably a few more than one, but one that really stands out was my friend Matt. Met him at a con, actually out here in Albany, a few years ago, which was just over a horror movie. It wasn't. It wasn't a horror convention, but Robert England was here, and other two other people from Nightmare on Elm Street. I do not remember. I know Amanda Wiss was here, and then those two others. And yeah, the last scare how did I miss that? The last scare con we actually screened Death House. Oh man. Yeah, I remember what? that we screened there. I was just remembering that. That was a couple. I'm unfamiliar. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. We had a special screening at Death House. I think on like Friday or Saturday night, and I was there with Camille Keaton, and we were in the front row, uh, watching it. And I remember at Scarecon, I did a Scream Queen panel with Camille Keaton and Linnea Quigley. Oh man, see that's that's another thing. I that's one thing I do love. I I love slash. I won't say hate. I'll say. I don't even say dislike really about that con though. It's like for podcasters, they'll let us get in with the media, you know, the media pass where we can get a table and all that stuff. But they want they want us to moderate the panel, and it's awesome because you get those opportunities. Like I got to moderate the panel for Friday Thirteen Part Seven a few years ago. Nice. But the, the downside, not necessarily neg- negatively, I guess. This is gonna be weird, but like you don't get enough tables. You don't get enough time at your table, depending on how many podcasts were there. Like the last time we went. Well, the last time Scarecon happened was in 2019 in Rochester in October. And, like, it was my podcast and maybe two others there. And there was probably, like, 20 panels. So between the three of us, we had to cover all these panels and stuff. It, the cool thing about it, though, is, like, you can promote yourself plus sit with certain people on these stages and get to actually talk with people, which is awesome. 
But again, the downside is it's like you don't really get too much table time when those panels because sometimes they're back to back to back to back to back. But it's one of those experiences that I wouldn't change because I never thought I'd be on stage with some people. I never thought I'd be in a room with these people, let alone sit on stage moderating it. Even if it's just be like, hey, you know, what's your question? And hand the mic off to somebody. Still, that, to me, that's just like, it's awesome. So I can only imagine acting like you got to. Like you Flat on a set, interacting with, you know, people of legends like, you yes. know, Zack Snyder, who's going to go down, you know, in history. For sure, for sure. I end up, I think, on a panel with the two, Camille Keaton and Linnea, because Camille Keaton and I are in Death House, and they want us to promote Death House, and Linnea Quigley and I are in a movie called Hunters. Oh, awesome. And we're going to be in an upcoming film called Jasper as well. Awesome, awesome. So, I'm I'm just going to go out of limb here. So, horror, is that your favorite genre? Um, you know, as a, uh, as a, a movie uh, buff, I really watch everything but for acting i would say horror is probably my favorite genre ever since i was a kid i think i wanted to be a horror actress and the nice thing about horror is that you can keep very busy with it more than really any other any other genre it had and then it has a great uh it has a great cult following you know you get to do these conventions um you get to pretty much shoot a movie every month if you'd like to mm. You know, yeah. I've even shot more than one movie in a day. <laughs> certain points. Yeah, I've gone from one set to another in the same day. Um, you know, because sometimes just scheduling works out that way. And if you right. tell the first director, you know, what time you have to leave by, sometimes they'll be pretty flexible with you on that, you know, knowing that you're going to another gig and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I like about horror. You can keep very busy because horror has a very large and loyal following that you don't really get in other genres. And then maybe that's why Zack Schneider wanted to uh, do Army of the Dead. Now, the funny thing about me doing Army of the Dead is it was kind of an accident because I saw a casting call, I think, on Facebook, you know, be a zombie in a horror movie. Okay. And I didn't really think that much of it, but I, I submitted my information to the website, which included my headshot and a full body shot of me, like in a bikini or something like that, because they wanted to get a sense of your body type. And I filled out all the information on their website, and I submitted it. And then they got back to me, and they're like, you know, can you send us a couple more full body shots? Because we're trying to figure out if you're the right body type to be a zombie in our film. So I was like, okay. So I sent some more pictures. And then they're like, okay, well, we want you to come um, to Atlantic City on a particular day for, for training, for zombie training. So I was like, okay. <laughs> So I showed up that day and I signed a non-disclosure agreement and that's when I saw Zack Schneider on the set and I realized what the movie actually was. Nice. That's I awesome. didn't realize that until I was there, you know? Mm -hmm. You know how many of those I just keep scrolling past? Now, hell no, I'm filling those out from now on. <laughs> yeah, you never know with stuff like that because a lot of times when you get a casting call, they don't always put the name of the project. So... You just, so as an actor, sometimes you just blindly submit to things, which is good. And then later on, you'll figure out how big of an opportunity it is or it isn't. I don't like to overthink things. I, I think you should just do things, and then you'll figure it out later whether or not, you know, um, it fits, like, you know, you, know, you know, whatever your goals are or whatever. So, I you know, I just submitted to the zombie movie, not really realizing what it was. 
And then other people probably didn't submit to it because they just figured, eh, nah, why bother? So I was on set and I really didn't see any actors I knew from any other film I had ever done, even though there were like, I don't know, like hundred zombies or something like that there. You know, there are dozens and dozens of them there. I ran into one of my friends, um, a director friend of mine, and also a guy that does a horror convention named Ryan Scott Weber, when I was on set that day, um, for the first day. It was funny, I was walking through the showboat to get a cup of coffee, and I run into Ryan, and Ryan's like, why are you at the showboat? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I just came for a cup of coffee. I said, you know, because they have really good coffee here. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I know they're working on a movie here. And I was like, oh, I'm like, well, you know, I, I signed a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't talk about that, you know, because people are pretty serious about non-disclosure agreements. Um, you have to really make sure you adhere to that. Um, once you sign something like that, and you, especially somebody like Zack Schneider, he has been extremely careful with the film. Um, they took our cell phones and they filed them away during the shoot um, every day. So we wouldn't be able to take pictures or text with anyone or talk on the phone with anyone during the shoot. Um, we signed non-disclosure agreements and we were contractually obligated that if we had to walk around outside, we had to wear a poncho and the hood was up. So oh, no wow. What, yeah, so no one would see what we looked like. With or without um, prosthetics or makeup on or anything like that? Excuse me? Was that with or without prosthetics or were you allowed you were to... made up as a zombie. Gotcha. It takes hours to get made up as a zombie and then you spend the day made up as a zombie until you're done. Gotcha. Okay, that's how that works. The cold times were between 1 and 3 a.m. And it would take up until maybe like 8, 9 o'clock to make up all the zombies between our makeup, our hair, and our clothing, our wardrobe. And then we would start shooting at eight or nine. And I would say they were probably like maybe like 15, 17 hour days on the set, which is not uncommon um, in the film, you know, work in film work. You know, if you're looking for a glamorous job, acting isn't glamorous. You know, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of being uncomfortable. So I just remember a lot of uh, zombies, you know, laying on the floor, you know, sleeping. Mm. Uh, waiting, you know, for everybody else to get their makeup done. You know, a lot of zombies eating crafty, drinking coffee, um, you know, reading a book, you know, waiting until we end up shooting the scenes because sometimes it could be a long wait. And it took, like I said, it took a long time to process everybody with their zombie makeup because some of it got pretty involved. I actually played two separate zombies in the film. Um, I play uh one zombie in the scene uh, where everybody's they're going down the corridor to get to the kitchen mm -hmm. and there's the latino uh woman with the red headband yeah. is separated from the group and i'm in um those corridor scenes like in a kitchen area and then i'm also in two other scenes where there's the pit where the police officer's being thrown in the pit and then you know the fetus in the pit yeah so um and so those were some pretty involved uh interesting scenes i got to be in played two different zombies because i think i fell into two different categories as a zombie they were looking for people that were thin and they were also looking for people that are pretty athletic looking mm -hmm. and i'm both thin and athletic like in fact i just rushed home and i'm wearing my workout clothes 
from weightlifting at the gym. I usually weightlift at the gym like four times a week. Uh, so I got to be an alpha zombie as well as a regular shambler zombie. Gotcha. I think quite a few zombies did do double duty because once you change the person's hair, makeup, and clothes, it's really easy to reuse the same people as multiple zombies. So I think there are some people there that did play two or more zombies throughout the film. It makes sense. I mean, especially with them doing CG to fill in and, you know, about the, the, the hordes or whatnot. You know, they did a great job with that, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, because they did our makeup, they did our hair and our wardrobe, and then they also did CGI over us all so that we looked extremely well done in the film. So we wouldn't end up looking like people just wearing makeup. Yeah, it almost looked like there's a probably three or four different phases of the zombie. Um, like there's like the, the pre the turn stage and then kind of where you get kind of really rigor mortis looking and then the after you start to decay or whatnot if, if I wasn't paying attention correctly. But that's what it kind of looked like. There was multiple stages of it for prosthetics and makeups. Oh, for sure. There were different kinds of uh, stages of zombies. And then a lot of people are talking about how there were even like these kind of robotic looking zombies in the casinos that had like blue metallic eyes. I thought I saw one get shot and it looked like there was like sparkle of electricity, almost like a Terminator effect. I thought I was going crazy for a second. I think um, Zach Schneider put a lot of Easter eggs in the film that's going to open him up to a prequel. You know, that's a big one, what you mentioned and what I mentioned. And also, um, you know, the dead bodies by the vault, you know, and a whole bunch of other things that are throughout the film that I think are all implanted there. And maybe, you know, you have to watch the movie a couple times to really see all these different Easter eggs. And I think that's going to give us an idea of what, what um, you know, the prequel is going to be and maybe the sequels. It may end up being like a series. Of films, huh. for sure, you know. I can definitely see it becoming coming out with a couple more films. I can the way it ended, like on the um, on the plane, the guy noticed he got bit and he's looking in the mirror. That that's something I can see them doing something with. Yes, anybody watching? Spoilers, spoilers. Hey, hey, oh, no. yeah, spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> that's that's interesting. And then also the daughter. I was saying to one of my friends is that I think Zack Schneider made this a little bit of a morality play in a sense because, you know, one of the characters that really survives is the one that went um, to Las Vegas with the purest intentions that didn't do it for the money, but mm-hmm. actually did it for someone else, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so I think there was a little bit of a moral thing. And then you have to think about the whole plot of the movie is that you know, there was a zombie apocalypse. We locked the zombies in friggin' Las Vegas, and you want to break in because you want to make a couple million dollars. You're willing to jeopardize the safety and the lives of the whole world. That has huge moral implications for our characters. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of people are they? Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> you know, that's a that's yeah. a good point, and that, that even goes back to how. Going back to you know, people say money's the root of all evil, and that, I mean that. There's no better example than something like let's let's go in a place where there's a, a bunch of zombies that we just locked them there. They can't get anywhere. But they're there. Let's go there and get this money and risk a bunch of lives. 
because we want this money. Like, there's other ways of getting money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Literally, they're literally willing to risk the lives of the whole entire world so that they can get some money. And some of them are going there for less money than others. Like some people are going there for 200000 Some people are going there for a couple million. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a We all got their price. Yeah, everybody's got a price and for some people it's higher and some people it's lower for them to do this you know um, and it's kind of interesting and then for one character she's motivated by her love and her compassion for another person mm, that's true kudos you know? to you Zack Snyder for writing this you and your yeah, two writers you know the, the little undertones you know that's that's yeah yeah kudos to you sir I didn't even think sure. about the undertone. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because then, then, like we said, you know, it also plays off to with a little social undertone of our present time and what we're dealing with and, you know, people before not wanting to wear masks because it wasn't going to help people, this, that, and the third, current situations and how it's evolving currently. I mean, good good job, Mr. Snyder. Good job. He did it in a different yeah, well, way. He filmed it way before our, our current pandemic. We actually shot this movie in 2019. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. There, oh god. But it, it, I feel, it, it was released at the right time. Then, just yeah. to fit, fit into what you were saying, Chris, it, it was definitely released at the right time because it just fits this moment. It was a Netflix thing, which is smart. A lot of people still. I mean, I'm one of them that's still working from home, so it's like I can easily go on the Netflix and throw something on. A lot of people are still unemployed, unfortunately, which I hope that does change. But I mean, there's a lot of people that are still at home. And theaters are closed, so it was smart to put it on. A, it was very intelligent to put it on a streaming platform. And not only, a, I mean, they put it on Netflix, the first, like the first big streaming platform. People, I think, most people still have Netflix when they're getting it. So it was, it was smart. It was really smart. Yeah, it was a Netflix studio film, and I think the budget was around ninety million dollars. Nice. You so can definitely a- see it in the the visuals. They. <laughs> They spent every penny of that in this movie because that, like, that's that is one thing I do like about what Zack Snyder does with his films is he really does make the film look really, really, really good, and that alone is awesome. Yeah, like, uh, different locations, and then they um, they rented a few casinos. You know, they um, really like spared no expense. But then it was funny because remember the first day I was on set, the one PA was really upset because they didn't order enough food for the day. He was like, I can't believe we're working on a Zack Schneider film with all these people and they didn't order enough food for everybody. Now he's like, now I have to order more pizzas, you know? And I, you know, like it's like a funny thing to go wrong on such a big budget film. Yeah. But I said to him, I'm like, but but it shows you that whether you're on an independent film or a large budget film, you know, mistakes and, and, and oversights can definitely happen. Like like not getting enough food for everybody. Yeah. But I said to the guy, I said, you know, if that's the worst thing that goes wrong today, that won't be that bad, you know? Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, a lot of films, you know, you have injuries and, and you know, and a lot of other things that can occur. So, you know, having to wait, you know, 30 extra minutes for pizza isn't really the end of the world quite, you know. But uh, I just thought it was, but it was funny that that would happen on like a $90 million movie because that's the kind of thing that would happen on an indie film where somebody forgets to get enough pizza for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're right because I, I feel like it's, it's one of those you things. one job. But it's, it's one of those things to where I'm sure people on the outside looking in as far as like a Hollywood movie or Netflix budget, whatever the budget is, like this is a ninety million dollar budget. They're not going to make any mistakes, and I mean, like you said, it was that. But 
I think people forget at the end of the day, everybody, we're all human. Like that stuff does yep. because this has more money to it. Doesn't mean that stuff's not going to go wrong. And another oh, thing- exactly, exactly right. And then what, what I want to say too, is that they filmed part of the movie in New Mexico and part of the movie in Atlantic city. And I think they had different, slightly different crews. Okay. So there's a little bit of a learning curve on the first day of shooting, working with new people, and um, probably you know, learning the whole chain of command and, and communicating well with everybody. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And one, one thing I do like that you said, too, was about how you know, you're actually, I believe, the second person that said this on here. They really do enjoy acting, but acting is not like this beautiful painting, so to speak, that you see that Hollywood puts on or like how this movie looks, looks beautiful. It's like, oh, it's a lot of hard work. It, it's, tough, it's rough. It's not just you're going on set, everything goes perfect. You do your lines. You do. It's not like a one take thing where you just do it and go home. It, it takes days, weeks, months, sometimes years for movies to be take, done and produced. And that right there shows a lot of passion and like a lot of commitment for everybody involved. It's like a, a lot, a lot of, of egos moving out of the way to make it come together, you know? Yeah, a lot of people won't do it. There's a lot of people that just be like, you know what? I thought this was going to be you know, how I see it on TV. And look, it's, yes, it's going to look like that once it's all said and done, but the build to it is never like that. Well, that's true. I remember there was one moment on the film set where we were like, you know, we we're doing that corridor scene and we're working really long hours. And we've probably been on set like 17 hours, but Zach Schneider really needs to capture the scene before the day's over. And one girl was kind of complaining, you know, like, I want to go home. I'm sick of this. I need to go. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I've been in, like, a lot of movies. And this is pretty much acting. It's like putting in these really long, tedious, hot days. So maybe you have to think about maybe maybe the theater would be better for you, you know? Because you never really get away from it. I think even Brad Pitt said that at the Golden Globes a while ago, that, you know, actors are a special sort of people who are putting in these 15, 17-hour days. Even Brad Pitt puts in those kinds of days. You never get away from it, no matter how successful you get. You still have to put in that that kind of hard work. You know, um, like, you know, when he worked on Fight Club and everything, I'm sure he put Mm -hmm. a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that and everything, too. That's just um, the industry. That's just the industry. If you want to work, like, you know, seven, eight-hour days and you don't want to sweat, if you don't want to be cold, you don't want to be covered with fake blood and latex, you know, it, it might not be, you know, what you want to do. Yeah. yeah, you 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 got up on the wrong side today. Go back, <laughs> go go get that desk job. Yeah, the only glamorous part you really have is like later on when you're at the film festival or you're at an awards ceremony. You're doing the red carpet, you're wearing your pretty dress, you got your hair done, and that's kind of like the glamorous moment as an actor. But that's only a fraction of the time in your mm-hmm. life as an mm-hmm. actor. It's a small fraction of it, you know. You're at a red carpet event for maybe two hours. You're on a film set 15 hours a day, maybe for a week. You know, that's mm-hmm. not yeah. quite uh, even. Yeah. I, it, it's one of those things, though. I, I love and respect it so much. And I love, like, when, um, especially more nowadays, they do it with the DVDs and the Blu-rays, like the behind-the-scenes stuff. I like seeing how stuff is, like, made put together. Like, I love 
as far as like special or practical effects, effects let's say, somebody can make like a head that looks just like your head and they have to like explode it in the movie. And I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. you mean to tell me you spent 60 hours making this beautiful masterpiece just for it to get destroyed in two minutes? Mm-hmm. And not only that, you only made one, so you have to like do that perfect. Like you can't, you can only explode it one time. It's like you can only do this one time to explode this head. And I just, I'm always in awe with stuff like that. That's so freaking amazing. And that happens a lot in the horror genres that sometimes people assume that people in horror movies don't act well. But what you have to understand is that in horror, a lot of times we do have a lot of physical special effects. Like when I did a Herschel Born Lewis's Blood Mania, I have a scene where I'm shaving my leg, I cut myself, and blood starts spurting everywhere. We had to do that in one take. Um, how often do actors in other genres have to do everything perfect in one take? Very true. It doesn't happen too much in drama. It doesn't happen too much in comedy. That, no, that's very, very, very true. Yeah. You now with horror, you have like a favorite subgenre. Like for me, slasher is my is my all time favorite. But I love I love horror all across. But slasher is like the one thing that just probably because I'm so used to because I've been watching it since I was little. Like that's the ones that were like most popular, you know, in the eighties and nineties. But you have like you have your favorite. I would say probably like horror comedies I like a lot, and that's why I'm actually I've just written directed and started a movie um, called Attack of the Killer Chickens, the movie. I was working on that with our production company, uh, Cluck Cluck Productions, and Dave Stein. And um, yeah, it's a film that probably will come out next year, it's looking like, because of some of the pandemic delays and stuff that we faced. But yeah, it's kind of like a combination of a horror comedy, I guess science fiction, and kind of pays homage to a lot of... Um, the ultra low budget B rate movies that I enjoyed in the past, like um, you know, Kingdom of the Spiders, Night of the Living Dead, um, maybe movies even like Planet of the Apes, which probably wasn't B rated. Um, what other movies that it pay homage to? Um, you know, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. A lot of these movies that I grew up really like loving, because because sometimes it's sometimes I you know. I like being in a higher quality, higher budget films, but then there's a, there's this, I love camp, and I love like the low, ultra low budget allure that's there, um, that you get in these certain types of movies that I've been in and that are out there, you know, like the, the room, you know, that the, they're just like the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, they just have like a certain fascination for people. I was actually even watching stuff, oh, there, there it goes, I that's me the on the cover there wearing my animal print uh, pajamas, and there are the, are the space chickens um, getting out of their spaceship there. I'm uh, watching yeah. this movie. <laughs> it's pretty this, intense. I love check it out. I love horror com. My favorite horror comedy is actually um, Thanks Killing, The Killer Turkey. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? What is it called? It's called Thanks Killing. Oh no! I don't think I thought it was Thanksgiving. Who's in it? I have I don't know who the actors are in it, but um, excuse me. It's on. What is that? What is that? Tubi. You ever use the app Tubi? No, I don't. I usually use Amazon Prime or Netflix. It might be on Prime, but Tubi similar to say similar to those. It's free. It's just you have ads. You have like a thirty second commercial, thirty you know, here and there that picks right back up, but. You, if you like horror comedy and like the 
real silly, outrageous stuff, I think you enjoy Thanksgiving. And you can ask Chris. I'm always promoting this movie like they're paying me, but they're not. They ain't like this. But you think just, you wrote it? It's just one of those like this kill, Attack of the Killer Chickens movie. I, like I have to, I have to see that. I have to. Well, Attack of the Killer Chickens, the movie, is this because it's actually uh, based on a short film I did a couple years ago called Attack of the Killer Chickens. And it was a six and a half minute short that I wrote, directed, and starred in with a couple of my friends. We shot it pretty much in one day and then we edited it and put it together. And it went to, I think, maybe 40, 50 film festivals and won, I think, seven or so awards. Awesome. Um, and that was my concept. And I got producers involved and then we um and then we decided to make it a feature and i and i wrote the short with the idea that i had this idea that if it was successful and i thought it had legs could be um branched out into a feature film wow that's awesome and i, and I thought the title was so perfect that i had to change it to attack of the killer chicken the movie so because I, I you know because you can't have two films with exactly the same name so so one's, you know, Attack of the Killer Chickens, and that's just a short film, and then this is going to be the movie. Attack of the Killer Chickens is the movie. Now, the, the short film, is that anywhere where we can watch that? Like, if I wanted to watch that, or? You know, I usually sell it to people, so I, I haven't put it online. You know, believe it or not, I've done uh, pretty well putting it on DVD and selling it to people at conventions, which is another reason why I felt like I wanted to make it a feature, because people were already were buying it. A short film that's six and a half minutes mm. long, people were paying ten or twenty dollars for it. So I felt like you know we should bridge that to a feature that kind of shows its potential. You know, it did very well um, when it was played at uh, different film festivals um, and, and conventions. The first time I did a test screening was at I think the Martinsville Horror Convention um, that I was a guest at, and I played it. And everybody was like, wow, that was really cool. They're like, if we have time, can we watch it again? So we played it a second time. <laughs> Which is not always the feedback that you, you get on, on the yeah. show. <laughs> you want to watch it immediately again, you know, after I yeah. watching it. But I think it was maybe, you know, maybe it was a little shocking. And it, it, maybe you have to watch it twice the first time to com completely absorb it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like I said, that that type of stuff, I, I will sit down and watch and just enjoy it and laugh. Because I'm the type of person, I know how to take, like, a horror comedy, I know how to take it as it is. You just kind of turn your brain off, so to speak, and just take it as it is. You don't take it as, like, a serious horror movie, which I think people go into those horror comedies thinking that. As, as far as some few, as far as some viewers, I mean. And they kind of, then they're just like, oh, it's not my type of thing. It was still, it was like, that's what it's supposed to be. Like, you got to just... Um, I can't, yeah, I can't. if you go into it with any type of judgmental picture or expectation, then you're just gonna yeah rip the thing apart and just just watch the thing, just try to be entertained by it. It's a bizarre movie. My friend Edward X Young that worked on the film said my directing style style was like if John Waters and Ed Wood had a baby, I would be their baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. <laughs> So, what's your what's your favorite horror comedy then? If you had to choose just one, and I'll say oh, one that, one that you're not in, just to make it fair. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I guess one of my favorite ones that I always like really enjoyed was like Shaun of the Dead. I thought was a really fun one. Okay, that, that one was yeah. 
that was a really fun one because it's I love how like the main character there like works at like Best Buy or whatever, but he becomes like the hero of the movie, and then all these other people that are so much more accomplished than him, you know, really aren't um, equipped to survive a zombie apocalypse, you know, and he takes everybody to like his favorite bar, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> to try to survive there. And that ends up being not that terrible of an idea. But, you know, it reminds me of one of my friends who was a fire chief. And he said, sometimes in an emergency situation, the most important thing is to have a plan. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a good plan. And <laughs> Sean, Sean in the movie has a plan. He definitely did. After he figured out what was going on, because it was, it was funny how him and his friend got up the next day. Just They were just going about everything like, like everything was normal. <laughs> Everybody in the town is a zombie, you know, besides a handful of people. And they're just going around like everything's normal, don't know what's going on until it finally hits them. I was just like, this is so ridiculous, but it's funny and it, it works. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a pretty good one. And I guess that's what would happen. It would take a little while for things to evolve because you even see that with our pandemic, which is a little bit like a zombie apocalypse, is that not everybody realized we were in a pandemic when the pandemic began. Because mm -hmm. not everybody watches the news. True. You know, I True. know some people that really, up until like the, the final moment of us, like officially having to stay home, getting locked down, had no idea what was coming. Um, and then you could, and you could see how that's very much like life because not everybody really keeps up on things like that, um, like you know, international news, world news, what's going on every moment. You know, we, we can do that on our cell phones. I actually have like a news app that sends me headlines all day that I can just scroll through. So it keeps me kind of abreast of things. But not everybody does that. Some people are just kind of living in their own world and have no idea what's going on. And then, you know, you turn around and you have a pandemic. You turn around and there's a zombie apocalypse. And nobody told you. You're like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that is true, though. I, I, I think it's a little... It's that, and then it's because of the way social media is. Like, as soon as it's out on the news, it's out on social media, which a lot of people are on. I feel like a lot of people just choose to ignore it, too, as well. It's like, oh, it's not really, it's not a big deal. It's not going on social media. All right, man, when a zombie comes and shoots arm off, <laughs> I don't want you to call me, talk about stuff. I need some help because it's not a big deal. I'm, that's exactly what I tell you. I'm, I'm home. I'm locked in. I'm barricaded like they told me to be. You said it wasn't a big deal. You want to go outside and get bit by a zombie. Yeah. I'm here. Work. Yeah, or you're faced with a situation like Batista's character was faced with in flashback there, you know, with his wife in the room, you know. That's when she gets real. Yeah. Yeah, that, those were some interesting scenes with him. And for Batista, it was a great movie because I think he really got to showcase the acting ability as a dramatic actor. He. We were talking about that, too. Yeah, I touched on it. I, I, I sympathize for the guy because I know his, his story and I know he, he's out there and he's trying to go for that superstar. There are some scenes that I'm like, I can connect with and some scenes that I was like, all right, man, like, all right, all right. They, they must have just said, all right, we got it. Just just roll with it. Just keep it going. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not a fan of him, but like I said, there some 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 parts I feel like he still had a little pity grin on his face like oh my god i can't believe i'm still doing this like i can't believe acting i feel like i saw that come through okay well you know um he probably has done more action roles than dramatic yeah. roles yeah especially with you know guardians of the galaxy and such a learning but. curve going perhaps really getting him full experience because you look you can look at like any actor you know what you know i look at myself you can 
Heath Ledger could have looked at himself or mm-hmm. Michael Caine. And I'm sure you see that actor's evolution. Oh, absolutely. Years. Like, you know, like the first movie with Michael Caine versus like Michael Caine's most recent movie. I'm sure he's evolved so much from film to film that he might be embarrassed when he looks at like his first couple of dramatic mm-hmm. films. And that's true of a lot of actors. Um, you know, some, and some of us, um, you know, take classes and some people kind of jump in the helm yeah. and learn by actually doing the film. Yep. Oh yeah, I'm I'm excited for you know future stuff to come out and stuff like that. Like that, you can tell in some some of those scenes, like he really connects and he he's in his mode, he's in his character, you know. So I, I'm I'm excited for it. You do. Oh yeah, and we'll see him develop and things mm-hmm. like that. Probably the film will get you know a little bit more, um, you know, more depth to his acting. I'm sure. We'll yeah, let's get rid of John Cena for a little while and and the Rock for a week <laughs> or two. <laughs> you you know what I did like about the film though is um. And nothing, I don't have anything against Batista, but like when his character died off, the only reason why I say that is because usually when a big name is like the headline of a film, especially with horror, they don't die. And I liked how they took it to that work because I was expecting him to save to survive through the whole movie and kind of have a happy ending, and he didn't. And then the same with um, Amari Hardwick's character when he gets he when you find out he gets bit on his arm, I like yeah. I like that thing too because you're just like okay, he's. The guy puts him in the safe. You didn't see him until like later in the movie when he comes out. It's that airport. I, I like things like that because it, it throws that curveball. There's so many movies I see like they're so pretty. Like okay, once it gets to a certain point, these guys are still alive. Okay, so they get off in the helicopter and like I like how that scene didn't go. It didn't go as planned. I say that in quotes, which you as what the plan was in as you know as far as the actors in the movie. Like okay, we're gonna hop in this helicopter and get safe. Like more stuff happened. And I like how I like I love when movies end like that because it's just at least on a cliffhanger and it's like okay there may be more coming or it may end like that but when it I don't, I'm not gonna say I don't like happy endings in movies but I I hate when like ninety you know like a hundred horror movies come out and like ninety nine of them have a happy ending like this isn't this is a horror movie like come on now let 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 people win in some of these movies let something happen let something crazy happen at the end that's not predictable and that that's one thing I can definitely say that was awesome about that was just I'm like okay a big name you know they, they did that and I think it works I think it really works and it helps it'll draw more people into okay yeah he's gonna survive this is like every other type of movie with these big name guys and, and then when that happened like okay that was cool yeah I didn't see it coming I didn't and that's what I mean by that. like I didn't see it coming I was expecting him to just be there for the whole film so how long were you on set for and, and doing all that stuff for I'm so sorry no problem. And then, like, in, you know, I feel like the movie, like, the subplot was, like, his relationship, you know, with his daughter, and that kind of comes to a head in the end, and, and, and the end is the only time he really gets forgiveness and really redeems himself as a father. Very true. Very true. So I think that was, like, kind of like a central kind of theme of the movie, you know, was him and his uh, relationship with his daughter, and in a sense going to Vegas and doing this whole thing was for him to have this closure and to get back, you know, in touch with his daughter. And unfortunately, he had, like, maybe die to do that. And then the irony, of course, is that the daughter is the only one that gets any of the money. And that was never something she even wanted. Yeah, and like you were saying, she was the only one that was pure, that was going there to save, to help save someone else. She wasn't going there for the money at all, not for greed. And 
she's the one that survives the whole whole thing. Well, maybe maybe everybody kind of had to die for their sins in a way because you know of what they you know wanted. And then you wonder about the gentleman and the plane. You know, he knows he's a zombie. The right moral thing, I guess, would be to do would be to shoot himself in the head. But is he going to do that? That's a, see, and you know what's funny is me and Chris were debating this earlier today. Like that that scene right there, it's like, what happens next? Does does he? How soon does he turn? Like how how soon? How long does it take for them to turn? Which one? And like how soon is he gonna turn? How how far are they from their destination? Are they gonna get to the destination before he turns? Is he gonna let them know? Like is what's gonna happen? And if now, he does I, turn, I, does he become a new alpha? That's another one. Yeah, you know, if he, if yeah, he turns, does he wipe out the whole crew and then the plane crashes and he, it's over anyway? So many questions. I, see, I, I do feel like they would make it to the next destination because that would make, I mean, if they wanted to do a sequel, then it's like, okay, now instead of it being in Vegas, it can be in, let's say, New York City. It can start in New York City and spread from there because there's so many people in New York. Maybe he doesn't say anything. By the time he changes is when he's home, comfortable with his family. He bites somebody in his family and it kind of goes from there. And then you have a, a crazy movie in New York. Well, and that's like another kind of narcissistic thing is that, you know, he has this money, he wants to live, but he knows he's, he's been bitten by a zombie and he knows what the outcome will be. You know, will he kill himself or does he, or is he going to put his own needs and his own life ahead of everyone else knowing that he's doomed anyway? There's, it can go in so many directions. I mean, does he take the he somehow make it at least to home or maybe somehow you know give his money to his family and then he's just like i gotta go type of deal like what something can happen from that but i would like i would because of horror of course you would like it to be he goes to new york and starts fighting people in a sense and it kind of just starts over again kind of sort yeah. of well and they had said at one point in the movie that this might just be like a cycle that they're repeating. Yep, he and said it when he was down in the vault. Yeah. And what does that remind you of? This is getting a little biblical too, like where you're kind of just like trapped over and over again, repeating something that's kind of like a pattern that's completely useless. I think maybe Las Vegas was hell. Mm, purgatory, yep. Or, or even purgatory, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, I never even thought about it. I'm gonna have to go back and watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there was maybe some religious symbolism there, with like you know, you know, karma, the true heart person, um, you know, being in this place. And then another thing that was really interesting too is that we say we have this reoccurring theme in the movie that we have these human beings and we have them going through Vegas and they think they're better than the zombies that they're more human. But they're double-crossing and betraying each other, and they're there mm-hmm. for money. But you see the zombies, and, like, um, Zeus is motivated mm-hmm. by love. Yes. They they even mentioned, one of them even mentioned that in the movie. They were like, we're all turning our backs on each other, and the quote-unquote zombies are sticking together. They have each other's back. It was the blonde Zeus Lily, the coyote. Queen and with his unborn child, he is thinking about love and he's thinking about his family mm-hmm. and his and his his fellow zombies. So he's almost like he's more compassionate to his own kind than the human beings are in uh, the film. Yeah, that's very true. 
that's very it, 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 and the crazy thing is it with the reality of it is that's how people are in real life there's people that just care about themselves more than anything more than even they care about their own family it's that i was I, i'll put it to they care about money more than they care about anything else even themselves it's like okay well because it's like if you're thinking about this again all these zombies all these things that can kill you and destroy you are in vegas they can't get out nothing you know i mean they're stuck there mm-hmm. you want to go there bring yourself there for money knowing that you have a chance of dying i'm like why i'll just state aaron you want to go it's about to be blown up and and have that threat permanently erased that too that show that that right there to show you how greedy people really are Mm -hmm. this makes no sense yeah that i'm back to you know the zombies connection to each other or whatnot i mean even the animals or whatnot the horse the tiger you know all they're not leashed they're not being commanded they're not being they're not enslaved they're free and working with them like Hey, we're, we're all here for each other. We're all watching each other. Let's go. Which the tiger, I love that. I was like, that was just awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, they're <laughs> organized. They're organized yep. like, like a society. Mm-hmm. A so people society. can learn something. <laughs> Act like the zombies. <sighs> Basically, I don't mean by killing and biting. I mean, no, it's just, yeah, simplify things. <laughs> Stick them together. That's it. Oh boy! So, what are your favorite days on analyze. set? No, it's a pretty interesting movie to analyze. It really is. What was that? What you I say? There's more layers to it than than you realize maybe the first time you watch it, and you can think about it. And then we also have to think, you know, psychologically, where was Zack Schneider, who was a very nice man? Um, you know, he seemed like a very kind man. He seemed like a very compassionate man. You know, I think he's adopted a number of children with his wife. And this was his first movie after losing his daughter. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, took her own life. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's why so, uh, the Snyder Cut came out. Because he had to hand over the project. They finished it. J- I think J.J. Abrams or... I, f- I forget. But, uh, yeah, the whole other team essentially finished it off of his project and, and put it out for the company and then later on the fans kind of rallied behind him and was like hey let him finish the movie let him do his version of the movie that he wanted to put out Got and it. that's where the Snyder Cut came from and it was after all of that with his daughter and everything as support to him that the fans just came out Got it. and I think he took some time off to be with his family and I think mm-hmm. do some volunteer work with people you know um with suicide prevention, people with drug issues, yeah. to kind of, um, I guess, process his grief. And then this was his film that he came to, you know, coming back as a director and, and all. So, you know, he may have been carrying, you know, some, um, some of his own um, internal thoughts, mm-hmm. feelings, and emotional stuff, and putting that into the film a little bit, too. Which I think you can't help but do as a director or an actor to use your creative outlets to help you process your own feelings, your own grief. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. That, that, I didn't. I, I didn't know any of that. Honestly, I didn't know any of that. But that's You're gonna make me start watching movies with a whole new scope. <laughs> well, I think when I saw him on set those days, I did see like maybe. 
he was kind of getting back into the swinging things and there was maybe a little bit of a vulnerability to him that maybe he doesn't normally have mm. um, on the set, you know? Because, because you know, here he is, you know, he went through a very traumatic episode, probably one of the worst things a human being could experience in their life. Mm-hmm. And he's getting back into the helm. And to do Army of the Dead after losing your most beloved, you know, your beloved child um, and doing such a film that is so death-centric and gory and things like that, um, you know, must have been challenging. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I could see that, and then I can also see it being therapeutic because he loves to create, and maybe it's just, it's just that one thing to where, like with with this, like I always tell people, I'm genuinely a happy person, but like with this doing podcasting and stuff, it's still like that getaway for an hour or however long I'm recording for. It's just that getaway, just to kind of have these interviews, review movies, or whatever the case may be, and then you just they take you out of reality for a little bit. So I'm sure. With him, hopefully, that takes him out of reality. And, you know, just for that little bit of time to kind of let your mind rest and be at ease. And you're doing something you really love. And you're going back to the real world. And you're just like, okay, now it's time to, you know, do what you got to do. Take care of business and come back and do your passion. I wonder if there's any type of connection between him and his daughter or whatnot. Maybe that was her, their favorite genre to watch together or whatnot. You know, horror zombie films. So he was like, hey, let me let me pitch this idea. I've had it and went with it, but it, it, it worked out for him. And it might worked, be worked out for a lot of you. <laughs> yeah. And it might be why the central focus of the movie is a man and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Because the the director lost his daughter. And, you know, and he kind of rewrote the story in the end where the father sacrifices himself for his daughter, in a sense, mm. you know? Which I know for a fact any parent would any do. Any father would do for their child. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how you would want to rewrite it, you know? Yeah. Go, oh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely so, going to go back and rewatch this with a different lens yeah. now. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Because a lot of people watched it and they were just like, you know... You either loved it or you hated it. Some people thought it was stupid. They didn't really see the depth of it. But I really think you watch it twice and, and you really pick up on the subtlety of it and you understand Zack Schneider and you understand the characters a little bit more. And I think there is some subtlety to it that maybe you don't pick up at first because of the action and following the action on the first viewing hmm. kind of um, grabs your attention more than everything. You know, everybody's getting shot, everybody's running around, people are dying. But I think there's a little bit of a subtext there too, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to give because, like, for me going into this and like watching it, I was like in the middle, and the reason why I was in the middle is because to me, like I said, like I said in the beginning of the episode, was it was more action for me than horror. So that right there, it felt like action movie with zombies, but all the other stuff, all the other, the other part of the story that we were all just discussing, you really don't. Like you just said, actually, you really don't pay attention to because you're watching the action. You're watching people. You're watching the zombies. You're watching the gunfight and all this other stuff. You're not really paying attention to the story. It's like you're the noise is kind of blocking it out in a sense. Now that we had a discussion, I'm like I got to go back and rewatch it again and kind of watch the story of it more so, especially you know with the father and daughter. But and then in between with everybody else, with every character that died because of the way they were acting throughout the movie. I mean, you had um. I can't think of his name, but he was he was in um, Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. And his Which character was he? The, uh, the the cop from the from the uh, camp or whatnot that ended up going with them and being sacrificed. 
Oh, his last name was Rossi. He had the same last name, yeah. name as me, I think. Okay. I think his first name is Theo. I think. But I can Rossi. Rossi. Theo Rossi, yeah. He'll just forever be juice I, for fans of Anarchy. I got thrown in the pit and turned into an alpha. Yes, yes, yes. But him, he was like, as far as evilness, he was one of the most evil characters in the thing. And he was one of the first ones to get, as far as once they got to that camp, you know, to that area, he was one of the first ones to get taken. Yeah, That's yeah, true. exactly yeah. right. Well, he was, uh, you know, they brought him along to be like, I guess, uh, to be their sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I was like, it's now again having this conversation. It makes more sense as to how how the people died and how they died off. It seemed like the greediest ones or the, the worst ones died off first, and then the ones that were kind of trying to make a change, they survived a little bit longer. Because even with um, like with Batista's character, he has a better relationship with his daughter. And then with Omari Hardwick's character, there was the guy who cracked the safes. When at first he was like, "What? What can he do with us?" Yeah, that guy ended up saving his life. It was a geeter. That guy was saving his life by pushing him when all the zombies are coming after him, and the guy, you know, gets him in the pushes him in the safe, closes the safe, and sacrifices himself for him. And like right there, he, he wanted to jump up and help, but he couldn't. It's too hurt. So I'm like, okay, he's starting to change. And it was, it was, I liked how I, that's not thing I did. That's one thing I did like about it too is like the, the, character, the characters that they did develop, but they had time to develop more. You've seen from beginning to how they some of them grew, and some the ones that grew they lasted longer in the movie. The ones that didn't, they kind of just you know they died off a little a little sooner. Well, like that coyote character, you know, she left mm-hmm. some of the people in the city in the past. She had maybe some guilt. And some yep. uh, some issues weighing on her throughout the film, and then she makes a mistake in who she trusts, yep. and that ends up backfiring, and they end up betraying, um, you know, um, Zeus and the Queen, and then in the end, she kind of, I guess, balances out her karma by sacrificing herself. Mm-hmm. And you had the um, I forgot what he was, but the one guy who came in. And he locked the thing on her, and he was gonna try to get away with the zombie's head, and he ends up getting killed. Oh, he's a tiger, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got tore up, and it was it wasn't. What I liked about that too was because I was just like, this guy's such a jerk. I was like, I, yeah, I he does that. There's, there's always those one or two characters in a film that you just get that bad. Just you know, they're just gonna come in there just to be all about them, like with him. When he comes in, you know, when they're all discussing the plans and all that, he's just like, you know, I have, I can get you guys into the casino, this, that, and the third. And I'm just, there's something I don't like it, but there's just something. I get a bad vibe of this guy. There's just something I know he's going to turn on them at some point. He's going to do something and show the crawlers, which he did, but it didn't turn out well, really for him. Because he, he was uh, sent by the Japanese businessman who gave them the blueprints and, and gave them this whole idea. That's true. Who was almost like the devil, really? Huh. Tempting them, you know, almost huh. like how Jesus was tempted in the desert, you know. And this mm. is a desert, and then we have this man tempting them all—all all these righteous people that had been heroes in the past, hmm. heroes that save people—to now go into this desert and be tempted by money. I think and he might have been the devil. City. That you you know what too another connection with, with that too it's I remember where they're they're all when you know when 
but she's the person who's offered this this plan and or this you know go here take this money and you know blah, 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 here's what I'm gonna give you and your team. And like at first, he's you know he's thinking about it, he gets the team together. And as it, as it goes on, it was about the money for him, and then it changed from that to about his daughter, and then that was like his main thing. As long as my daughter's good, I'm good, basically. And yeah, I gotta rewatch it. <laughs> I have yeah. to watch it now that because again, yeah, I, think I, about that. You know that that man that lures him, you know, away from his job as a cook, knowing yes. that he was a big hero that we see at the beginning of the movie, and all of his friends were these heroes. And, and that save people, that save humanity. And now they're finally going to do something for themselves. They're going to go there and we're going to get this movie and money and do it for ourselves. You know, he's tempting these people. They're normally, and tempting this man that's normally a good man. Very true. You know, to well, do something terrible. I thought maybe when I was watching the movie the second time, I thought maybe he represented the devil. Hmm. You know, I can see that. And then I can also see it how... Where you know you have these heroes at first, and it's it's kind of like you know we did all that we saved we, we saved humanity, but we got nothing for it. Like we should we shouldn't have to work in a sense, or we should we shouldn't have to be struggling to survive. And so it, it's easy to go to these people like, listen, I can give you this much. You know, you go here and do it for me. I can give you this much money. You can share it with the team however you want to. Because what do you say? Like fifty million, right? And then, was, yeah, two hundred million or something like that, and they were gonna get fifty four, so he can divvy up. Yeah, and, but I was listening to like some, but he's, he's like, okay, you're gonna get five hundred thousand, and then another guy, you're gonna get two hundred thousand, you're gonna get this, mm-hmm. and it just kept trickling down to where you know, which I get, but it, I I can see how the the money did tempt them, especially where it's like, okay, we saved humanity, and I'm here flipping burgers on a grill, like I shouldn't have to be doing this. I should be signing, you know, but but isn't saving humanity kind of its own reward too? It should yeah, it should be. <laughs> yes. But at the same time I do feel and this goes into which I don't want to get too deep into it, like with the military stuff. I do feel if you go and fight for this country, when you come back, I don't feel like you should ha- you should have a house. You shouldn't have to work. Like you fought for this country. You fought for all this and then you have to come back and maybe not have a house, maybe be broke and all this other stuff. You should be taken care of for the rest of your life. That's how I feel. And that's that might be a theme of the movie too. Maybe that's a message from it as well, you know, a subtext. Yeah. And I mean it's cause you're going to do something where you might not come back home. And with this movie, I mean it's different because it's like you're going to do something that you don't have to do at all. Like that's this right, you're thing. You're doing it for the greed. You're doing it for the money. But at the same time, if you were taken care of properly when you came home or whatever from saving humanity, you wouldn't be going to do this. But who knows? There is people who have there is a lot of people who have a lot of money and they're still greedy as hell. Like, oh, man, that nickel just fell on the ground. I got to get that nickel. You're a millionaire. But yeah, that nickel right there. That needs to get my picket break as well. Like, I need to have That's a, how you a millionaire. Mm. To an extent. You know, mm. True. You know. If you know anyone that's rich, uh, you know that's the kind of attitude that brings that makes you a millionaire. You know, um, but another thing I noticed too, and I guess it's a little political, and I'm not gonna get into it too much, is that the camps that they have with a lot of uh, you know Latino people remind me of uh, the camps we have mm. in the states for illegal immigrants, mm. and I think Zack Schneider put that in there on purpose as well. Mm-hmm. 
So I said there's a lot of a lot of little social undertones in there. I, I wasn't gonna pick on the, that one too, but I, I saw a lot of them there. And then when they were doing the temperature checks on people to see if you had become a zombie, I yeah, was you're using the infrared thing, and you're talking about this was two years ago. Like, where where's this coming from? Talk about art imitating life, right? You know what's, exactly. what's I'm like, really, really my life every time I go somewhere. Every time, yeah. You know, the, the first three months we went to work, if we could go to work, you know. I, I just went to the dentist yesterday, and they had one of those little, just beep, check my temperature. And I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I've, I've been to, you know, I've been there a couple of times, been out a few times where they had to check my temperature like that. And I'm just like, this is... This is crazy. This is this is getting ridiculous. And where the hell do these damn thermometers come from? I've never seen them. I'm 35 years old. I've never <laughs> whole life. I've owned several of them to, to work on vehicles, to use them for infrared thermometers on vehicles. That's that's what I use them for. And now they're using them on us. And yeah, and now I'm checking myself. I'm like, wait, I got I got a tickle in the throat. Hold on. Another thing, though, is I don't think that those things are a bad idea because uh, it's better than sticking a thermometer in somebody's mouth. Just have the germs, obviously. So yeah, it's yeah. like beep, 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 beep. so now I want more places to have them. Like you go to the doctor's, like you're not taking my temperature like that anymore, doctor. Scan my forehead, yeah. Get one of them guns. It's beep. It's, it's easier than an anal or oral thermometer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just gonna deal with whatever, however I'm feeling. Like it, it, nope. I'm good. But Theo was his his character was willing on using his rectal one if he had to. Yeah. These gun thermometers are really as accurate as like a regular thermometer that you would use anally or orally is though. Yeah. Because a bunch of people have told me that you know when you're using those, those gun ones, they told me they were outside on a hot day doing people before they were going into a convention, and they said when the gun's out in the heat too long it yep. affects like the results of things you have to be kind of careful certain things will affect the, you know the temperature reading which very that, sensitive. which may, i mean that that does make sense though because anything sitting out in the heat for too long is going to get hot and plastic <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. plastic they're not always 100 percent accurate and then i was at the mall the mall in short hills a while ago and the guy at Giorgio Armani, I think it was. No, 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 Christian Dior. He was um, doing somebody's uh, temperature check, and they came out with a temperature. And they said, oh, I had just run to the mall. I think that's why my temperature's up. And he said, you know, that happens. So he's like, come back in a half hour, and I'll do your temperature again. And it might be in a normal range, and I'll let you in, Christian Dior, you know. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of, you know, variance them like they're not like Exactly. Yeah. No, <laughs> this whole year has uh, really taught me. Um, 
I was always a little bit of a germaphobe, but now maybe more so. Yeah. I, I wasn't, a, I won't necessarily say I was a germaphobe per se, but I was one, like, before I eat, I'm going to wash my hands. Obviously, I mean, after you use the bathroom, you learn this when you're a little, when you're a baby, damn near, wash your hands with soap and water. And, I mean, pre-COVID, <laughs> just in public restrooms, like at work, I'll say, you see people just go ahead, use the stall, and then just walk up. You forgot to. Never mind. You don't wash your hands. And I, the, the reason I find this kind of funny is it's like, once this whole COVID thing hits, we're out of toilet paper, we're out of hand sanitizer, we're out of hand soap. I'm like, how much do you people need? Like, you, you guys weren't using it before anyway. It's like you, you can go by the same amount you were buying before. Just that, you know, you say you get five packs of toilet paper or whatever, a 12 pack, 24 pack. You can still buy that same 12 or 20. It's still going to last the same amount of time. And then I'll just get some. But you're going to go ahead and just, oh, man. You know, it goes, man. That, I was going to say, it shows when, when I know people say, you know, we got to stand together when stuff goes down and stuff. Like, when stuff goes down, the first thing people do is buy up everything so other people can't get it. I guess everybody's getting, like, their fallout shelter, like, ready, like, for, like, when mm-hmm. the world comes. And you're going to be, like, hunkered down your fallout shelter. And, and you know, people are going to be like, please help me. I need toilet paper. And you'd be like, no. Yeah, what kind of goods you got to offer? What are you bartering with today? I need three eggs to make this cake. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's like people thought it was going to be like the end of the world and you're going to be like in a fallout shelter and and maybe you would be locked up there for like months, you know, until everything like the atmosphere had cleared out or something. Like like a Twilight Zone episode or something, you know? No, I mean, this this picture right here, this movie got it pretty much right. Oh, snap. Something occurred. People are dying. They're eating each other. Lock it all down. Everybody else, you're good. Stay here. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that's how it would go. Day and night still comes. It, it life goes on. The only thing is, you know, don't go over there. Yeah, but they ended up going over there for money, <laughs> right? I, I feel like this. This movie, I feel as far as just saying the zombies or something that being locked in Vegas and there being a chunk of money there, I feel people would people would be greedy. Let's just go get this money. I'm like, nah, I'm good. They're always going to be. You got to think about throughout history, treasure hunters and pirates. You know, people always want to pillage and scourge and try to find what's left behind. You know, what I mean, we're still digging up dirt, looking for ancient civilizations, treasures, and stuff. You know, it's it's always going to be a thing. It, it it depends on which aspect you're searching for it for. Do you want it for the historical value of the presence and learning something, or do you just want it for the greed? You know, the dollar and you know what it's going to do for your financials. It, big difference you know the intention is always a big thing true that's true you always have people doing that like you know pirates and even a lot of people breaking into uh the ancient pyramids and mm-hmm. trying to steal all of the riches that the pharaohs were supposed to take into the next life and they did say a lot of the people that pillaged the pyramids did end up dying mysteriously because supposedly the pyramids were cursed mm-hmm. there's curses that were laid there for anyone that, that attempted that you know and see, and that's see, I've and now something like that. I would love to see something like that, not going in there and doing all that other disrespectful stuff, but just to see it and look right. at it, not to. Because I think you gotta think about like how mad would you be if somebody just walks in your house and just like takes like say your your TV or something. Oh, I want this. Like, okay, that's that's not yours. That's my that's my. I know it's a little. You know, you can say, well, they're buried. That's still theirs. But still, they're buried with those jewels. That's still theirs. Don't 
Don't mess with it. So Especially when they say, hey, these walls are inscribed with how many different curses to protect them through all the stages of the afterlife. And if you come in here and you're an intruder, you will die a horrible death. Yeah, that just makes me want to take something from there. Nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty ballsy to go in there and kind of challenge that. And then, you know, the, and then the pharaohs had this stuff in the pyramids because they believe that they're taking all these things to the next life. So, yeah, so the, so the belief religiously, they, religiously that they had that the dead people were still utilizing these things. Mm -hmm. I would like to see more um, Egyptian-type horror stuff, but something that's like real serious and dark. Some actually something that would, that be, cool. that would, that would be, be cool. would be kind of fun. Like somebody going to rob a tomb and then just they're cursed, and maybe their family's cursed for years, and they got to figure out why. Maybe bring these jewels back, but make it like a horror type of thing, like a paranormal type of horror. Hollywood. I think I'm it's been done in the past. I think Tales from the Dark Side years ago might have had one of the skits hmm. with that. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And, and I think there was a vampire movie maybe in the 70s called like maybe like The Tomb or something like that where like a, like a, a woman is like unleashed from her uh, pyramid. Interesting. I would watch that though. But even, it's even a very B-rated kind of movie but it's kind of fun. I think it was like The Tomb or something like that. Okay. I like to watch like these obscure B-rated movies, um, and I think I saw something like that years ago, where she's like a vampire and she's unleashed from a tomb, and she's like a pharaoh. A pharaoh. See, now that again sounds interesting. That sounds very interesting, right there. That's. So it's been done a little bit, but why hasn't it been done more? And then, you know, obviously we had the Universal Studio movie monsters. We had the Mummy, mm. but everybody forgets about the Mummy compared to Dracula and Frankenstein, and even yeah. the creatures of the Black Lagoon. The, uh, the mummy, we always forget about the mummy. Yep. That, and that's why we need like a, a um, we need something that's real dark and like a, has more, maybe more of a serious tone to it for a mummy. Yeah, mm -hmm. Pharaoh, all that stuff. I think it would, I think it would do well. I think it would be awesome, be very entertaining. And why not? I mean, we've they've tried a bunch of other things with horror. Why not? They read, they do a thousand remakes a year. It's like why not just do something you know, a little. Well, I know Anne Rice did a couple books about a, a mummy, Ramses, I think, and the mummy. You know, maybe turn those into movies because, you know, her books are so great. And, you know, you could probably turn all of them into movies. There you go. You know, and something like that might be kind of exciting. I love Anne Rice. She's really cool. I met her once years ago, and she was just so sweet, too. Sweet That's person. awesome. Speaking of, uh, just because I mentioned remakes, did you guys see that they're doing a... Um Oh, I forgot who the director was doing it, but Christine. Christine, they're remaking. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, Stephen King's Christine. Wow. I and I now funny story about this is like, so I love cars, which I mean, guy I love cars, but I got my father like in the muscle cars and all that. He's not into horror at all, and this was maybe five six years ago. I was at his house. He was channel surfing. I was just sitting on the couch watching TV with him. Christine just happened to be just starting. And just because he likes cars, we watched that movie. He's like, have you ever seen this before? I was like, no. And the first time I watched that movie was with my father. Both of again, both of us loving cars. And I watched the movie. I'm just like, wow, this movie is so awesome. And it was on regular TV. So, of course, a lot of, there was a few things that were cut out. I ended up listening to the audio book one day while I was working. Well, over the few days, loved the freaking book. 
probably one of my favorite horror books because the book goes into so much. If you haven't read it or listened to that book, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Oh, yeah, I haven't. I read a lot of his Stephen King's novels, but not that. It's it's awesome. And then just and then of course I went back and watched the movie like the regular version of the movie. I'm just like, I like this. Of course the book was better. That's how it always is. But I, I really enjoyed the movie. And I'm hoping with this remake or reboot, I know the guy said he does want to keep it like set in the eighties, just kind of, you know, up it. I'm hoping that it goes, I'm hoping he sticks with the book. Like goes closer to the book than the movie actually did. I know the movie took some things from the book. I'm hoping he goes closer with the book and just knocks it out of the park. Cause I'm like, it's not, I won't say it's, I don't have a favorite horror movie. That, that's just one of those ones. Like, all right, come on, don't, don't ruin it. There's certain ones I don't care. I'm like, if you make a remake or whatever, cool. I don't care. But there's ones I'm like, all right, if you're going to remake this, you better do it right. Do it. Well, that's an iconic horror movie. You know, Stephen King has a few of these really unique and iconic stories that really kind of play upon, you know, like almost like our teenage mind and our most primal fears, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he really like, you know, Christine is a great one, you know, like the love of your car, you know? Yes. And then twisting them into something kind of evil. Another one I was thinking about the other day was needful things, you know, going to an antique shop, you know? Oh. Um, and then that can kind of twist it around into something like perverse, you know? Hmm. Um, Have you ever seen the. Killer, you know, he has a lot of really cool uh, stories. Have you ever seen the um, Friday the Thirteenth Friday the Thirteenth series? Not the movie, but the. Oh, oh yeah. Um, I think I saw one or two episodes at a friend's house a couple years ago. I like that, right? Cause just because you were mentioning the um the antique the antique thing, I like that a lot. Like I I just I watched that a few years ago with my wife. I watched it the first season or two, and I like how everything there's like curves. And they have to get these. I, I thought that was a cool. Like I would like to see that being a full. I mean, I guess you kind of, kind of with the Conjuring, you get that kind of sort of, and a sense for where there's kind of sort of like with the Annabelle doll, and then like what other items that they've gotten throughout the throughout the movies, and they'll put it in that one room. But it'd be cool to, if that. Well, call it a different name, of course. But the Friday the Thirteenth that TV series thing. If that was a movie where they had to get certain items and, and get them back into the to the shop. Okay. Well, and people sometimes do believe certain I- items could have, a, you know, a spirit or a person mm-hmm. attached to them, um, and things like that. That is kind of like a belief, um, you know, among uh, you know, you know, people that study the supernatural and the paranormal. You See, never know. I'm I'm in the middle with that, like. It's it's something that I like. I feel like there is things there, but at the same time, I'm just like I do. I do believe people do overdo it, overhype it, overkill it, and lie about it. Of course, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like I believe it and I don't, but I don't want to find out the hard way at the same time. It's like, hey, Aaron, I just stole this from you know from a tomb. Do you want to have this? No, no. <laughs> I don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it, I guess it's kind of hard to say. You know, it reminds me of like that old story, the monkey's paw. You know, mm-hmm. um, like you know, like like a cursed object. Uh, you know, I'm suddenly that you know, as uh, you know, I'm a tarot card reader, reader. I study the metaphysical. I've done a lot of. Uh, I go to a lot of sensoria stores. I've done a lot of uh, you know things with voodoo when I've gone to New Orleans and Jamaica. So there is that belief. So like when I went into uh, Rose Hall, which is like a haunted kind of house, 
in Jamaica, you know, um, haunted by Annie Palmer or Voodoo Queen. I remember the, the tour guide was telling us, like, when um, they hit, when the slaves attacked and they had killed Annie Palmer, you know, hundreds of years ago, they, you know, they didn't just kill her knowing that she was a voodoo queen, but they destroyed all the pictures of her and broke all the mirrors. And I said, so she mm. wouldn't come back. And they said, exactly, so she wouldn't come back. Wow. You know, and there's that belief. And then they put her in the sarcophagus out around back that was sealed with a spell with crosses on every corner. So there was mm. no way out. Mm. You know, and then, and you know, so, so you wondered, you know, people have been doing things like this forever. There's always been a lot of superstition and the belief in demons uh, predates all of the world religions. Yep. And that's and a fact. I, I so do who feel, knows? Yeah, I was going to say, I do feel with stuff like that because, I mean, it's been going on for centuries and it still goes on now. There has to be some truth to it. It's just how far that truth goes. Of course, for movies, they have to make all the crazy stuff happen or you're not going to watch it. Like if someone's like, my house is haunted. Truth sometimes is stranger than fiction. I'm sure you could, like The Exorcist is based on a true story. Right. You know, very, very much so. Um, so sometimes like the truth is fertile enough to create a story. Like somebody told me a while ago at a party that they they knew somebody like they had gotten like a skull right an animal skull like a coyote skull at a flea market and they brought it home and they were getting bad vibes from it you know right. so one of their friends was over and they mentioned you know what i'm going to totally get rid of this thing because i just i just don't like having it in the house so the friend was like all right well i'll take it i would i would i'll have a coyote skull i'll put it in my apartment Anyway, like a week later, the person that took the coyote skull died. Whoa. So, and then the person was like, wow, I feel guilty that I gave it to them. Because they died, and it doesn't seem related, but they're like, I did kind of sense something weird about it. And right. then they took it, and then they died, and it's like a weird coincidence, and you just never know. And mm -hmm. what if I hadn't given it to them? Yep. Yeah. alive today, I don't know, you know? Mm. No, that, that, yep. <laughs> there's, there, there's that too. But that, and I'm, again, I'm one of those type of people where someone's like, I, I just, you know, if I have this in my house, yes, it looks cool, but it gives me this weird vibe. Like, I hear tonight, Aaron, do you want it? No. <laughs> Throw it. <laughs> bring you know, it to a museum. You gotta, you gotta like burn it or something. You know, you have to really get rid of it. You know, you probably have to do like what you would do. Like, you know, I was raised Catholic. What you would do to like a religious object. Um, you have to bury it or burn it. Mm. Something that you thought was cursed, I would bury it or burn it. You know? Um, mm. That's what you do with, like, palms and any kind of religious item. I think that's common. You bury it or burn it much like you would almost treat, like, a human body. Ah, yeah. After mm. you pass, bury it. Reverence, you know? Interesting. A holy or cursed object, I think. Hmm. We're getting into the metaphysical world, but yeah, you know, anything else, um, you know, maybe wouldn't be a good idea. And you see that in movies, like I just saw that movie, The Unholy, and that was kind of a cool religious horror movie. Um, I don't know just if you guys saw it. Watch it was movie theater. It was called. It was the movie theater actually. It was called The Unholy, and that had a similar idea, where like where you have this cursed object, and then we end up burying it. You know. 
I'm I, I've been meaning to watch that movie. Chris, I'm gonna have to add Same here. to the horror wheel, the unholy, because James just mentioned it the other day. Asked me yeah. about it. It was definitely a religious horror film. You know, like because that's like kind of like a genre that you get is like these religious horror movies that have like a religious undertone to them. And that one very, very much did. You know, gotcha. and I think the theme of that film was basically um, when you, when God builds a church on the hill, the devil builds his chapel right next door. Hmm. And that's pretty much the theme of the movie, is that. Hmm. And also hmm. beware of false prophets. I guess that would be another theme. So, yeah, you know. Very cool movie, you know, and uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I saw that in the movie theater. I've seen a bunch of movies during the pandemic in the movie theater. I'm like the only person that does that. I've seen at least 12 movies during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah, Why? I go. There's like nobody there. You know, <laughs> I feel like the movie theater is a pretty safe place to be because you're not really in a confined space with other people. You know, the ceiling is very high. It's a very big, wide open space. And you can position yourself pretty far from everyone. And at that time, we were all wearing masks and stuff. And you can decide if you want not to get popcorn or soda. You know, that's your right. choice. You know, bring your Purell or whatever. So yeah. I saw like 12 movies, and I felt pretty uh, safe. There you go. I haven't been to the movies since this whole thing started, but they've been close. Like, we're... They've been closed for <laughs> what did they just open back up around here, Chris? Uh a month, couple months ago, maybe. Oh really? They you know in New Jersey they've been open pretty much throughout the pandemic, just nobody realized it. But yeah, they, no, well New York was like the worst. Like AMC closed almost closed down completely and threatened bankruptcy and just completely shut an operation down because New York was yeah, just being such a red tape state like they usually are with everything. But yeah. Yeah, New, New Jersey was being pretty strict. But, uh, and I think some of the theaters that had maybe a lot, a huge outbreak, um, probably did shut down. I guess it was theater by theater. But the Cinemark that had Army of the Dead, and I saw a number of other films there, did a really good job of, uh, you know, keeping everybody very social distance from each other. Like, as you go into the movie and, like, you can pick out your seat, you know, beforehand on the screen when you're buying your ticket, they would tell you what, what uh, seats were available. And you got in there and you were very much spaced from each other, you know? They did an excellent job with it. Let's awesome. see that. Oh, I can't wait to go to a theater again. I miss it so much. Just because, like, don't get me wrong, I do love just, there's times, because, of course, the convenience of watching a movie at home is you have to get up to use the bathroom. You can hit pause. If you fall asleep, you can start it over, whatever. You don't have to get dressed. You can watch a movie however you want. Whatever you want to wear, you're fine. But, for me, like especially for horror movies, there's certain films you just like. I I want to see this in theater because that experience, it's just, it's awesome, and it's one of those things where I hope theaters stay around for years to come. I hope it doesn't come where everything's streaming just because it's a good, it's a good getaway for a couple hours. It's it's fun to go to the theaters and see something. Oh, for sure! I love the movie theater experience. I was going to say too. I also did a focus group for a movie that's going to be released soon too. Awesome. Uh, you know, like like during the pandemic, I did that. Like I don't know, like three or four weeks ago or whatever, I did that. Um, I, I think I found it on Instagram. I submitted myself because I was in the right demographic, and I went out and did a focus group. And they did a good job in managing that. You know, everybody had masks on. Everybody was socially distanced. They had us fill out surveys at the end, and everybody had like I guess like you know 
uh, a pen or whatever that had been uh, sanitized. You know, there's all these workarounds and stuff. But I don't think the movie theater is as high risk as you think because, again, you're in a very big open space with an extremely high ceiling. It's not like you're in a confined space with other people. And it's very easy to social distance from people and things like that. And especially now, most people really being vaccinated probably anyway, you know. Yeah, well, there's that too. And then, like, for so for me and my wife, we usually go out there in the matinee times just because teenagers are jerks. They don't know how to shut the hell up when you're watching a damn movie. <laughs> and I don't want to beat up a teenager or get bored or getting beat up by a teenager. <laughs> Sometimes it adds to the movie, like, if you go um, somewhere where everybody's talking. Like, I remember when I saw Creed 2. I saw it like in an urban environment, and everybody was like kind of saying things. Or like they're like, "Man, he sure got old." Or like, "I don't like her." And everybody was like talking real loud throughout the movie, but it was almost like the Rocky Horror Picture. Everybody kind of yelling things out at different points. I love the Rocky Horror Picture Show though too. I I think with those though, it it depends on the movie. Like for example, I think it was the Conjuring when the first Conjuring came out. <laughs> It was me, my wife, and my brother. And, you know, the movie theater, of course. And you hear at one point in the movie, I don't remember what happened in the movie, but it was, of course, it was something that just somebody got scared. And this lady was like, <laughs> she just got scared. She's like, I can't take it. Blah, 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 blah. Somebody goes, we can't take it. They get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. But, like, stuff that bother me or, like, just, like, certain things with, with the movie. Like, I've been in movies where, like, a certain scene happens and everybody's clapping. But just, it's, it's when people are talking throughout the whole entire movie and just being obnoxious. It's one thing, like, what you're saying, where it's, like, the whole thing, where it's, like, Everybody there, it's like you're like one big family, so to speak, and you're just kind of like, oh, shit, at this part, or I can't stand this part, blah, 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 blah. But when people are just like conversating and on their phones and all this other, I'm just like, yeah, there's definitely social etiquettes and social cues yeah. to uh, in, enjoying the atmosphere and partaking with other people, enjoying an event or whatnot. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you just got to be mindful of that. So. Yeah, I like the particip participation films, though, too. Like, I before the pandemic, I saw The Room. Um, you know, with the director there, and you know, you have your box of spoons that you're throwing and things like that. Yeah. That was kind of fun. Yeah, The Room, they do that like as a, as a participation kind of film. It's not a horror movie, The Room, but it's like considered, like, I guess, one of the worst movies ever made, or worst best movies, or best worst. Uh, you know, you got it. The, the room. room. Yeah, that was kind of a fun one. And, and right yeah, now, so many. And, and they made a very Rocky Horror esque, and they've done that with a couple movies. Like Rocky Horror, I think Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, The Room, maybe some other movies. I think I heard even some people did that with Showgirls, um, mm. like where they turned that into a performance kind of movie where you kind of make fun of it and act it out. Gotcha. See, that now see go now going into it like if you're going to a theater and you know that's what's going to happen that's one thing but say if you're going say you're going out with whoever just your friends or whatever and you're like okay I just want to go see this movie and then. Yeah. You walk into it, it's that, and you don't know. You're walking, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> You're going to be mad as hell. But I do, well, we do the matinee ones. One, again, like I said, it's quiet. The theater is like dead. And then two, it's affordable. So, oh, okay. yeah, I like the matinee yeah. for the affordability of it. And I used to go to like the cheap movie theaters, like, like on like discount night and stuff like that. Like Cinemark yep. by me has like Tuesday nights, I think it's like 675. 
Um, yep. So I usually do that one. And then I, I sometimes go to Teenex Cinemas uh, when I'm in New Jersey. And I think they have like 5 or $6 dollar, you know, for like a matinee. Nice. Yes. Yeah, um, so, okay. What is it? Uh, the Bowtie Theater here. I believe it's like six or seven, six bucks on Tuesdays, I believe. And then the matinee at the Rotterdam, which is this theater is so outdated. But I, I like the nostalgia of it. I love the nostalgia of it. It's like five, six bucks on the matinee, just like a regular day. And then the, I think the most expensive it gets is like nine bucks, nine or ten bucks. Like in the evening. Oh, wow. It's not. And I mean, it could have changed since the pandemic. But it's not ridiculous like other theaters where it's like, okay, here's it's pretty much fifteen dollars for a ticket. And it's not even for like a three D film. Okay, so I gotta pay thirty dollars for me and my wife for a ticket. Another seventy five dollars for popcorn and soda. Yeah. Oh, exactly right. We have one in Clifton, um, I think it's Allwood Cinema. I saw on the day it came out in the evening, King Kong versus Godzilla okay. for five dollars. Nice. See now that that's, that's nice. Awesome. That was excellent. I ran into a bunch of my friends, and they're like, "Oh, they're like, Did you come to this movie theater because the other ones were sold out because it's opening night." I said, "No, I came to this movie theater because it's five dollars." Five bucks, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, I came here. Uh, it's cheap. It's and I'm seeing the same freaking thing. Seeing the same. And then thing I'm more likely like to spend money on all the fun snacks I like to get. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. You know, I did see. Um, this may have been about three or four years now. I want to say it was the, it had to have been maybe the 30th, was it 35th, 35th year anniversary of Nightmare on Elm Street, I believe. Oh, wow. And so I believe it was Regal Cinemas. I don't know if it was all across the country with Regal or just here. I don't know how far Regal goes, but um, they're doing like 80s prices. So I think to, I think the movies were like five bucks a piece, popcorn and soda was like five, for like the big stuff, like five bucks. And there wasn't that many people in the theater, but there was a snowstorm that day. And my wife and I were like, we're going through this. Because I wanted, like, one thing I would love, and I've been saying this for years, is if they had a theater that all they showed was either just horror movies or even just old school horror movies or just old school movies in general, like 80s movies. And, you know, each day they had a certain, like, okay, today's horror, tomorrow's action, whatever the case may be. And... I really feel like people would love that. I, I say horror because there's horror fans all over the place that we will travel to watch a movie. We'll travel to go to these cons. And I feel like a lot of people would, would possibly travel if there's like a theater that just is any horror movie you want to look. We're going to see these movies because people will go back and see like. We also seen Jaws. That was at the Bowtie Cinema though. On, on, on the big thing that was on. That's classic. It'd be cool to see some of these classic films and see how I'm not intelligent enough and it, it doesn't exist to make a time machine and go back and see these films like when they first came out in theaters. But with my mindset of already seeing them, to see how people are seeing like the Exorcist for the very first time in theaters. Like, I would love to be able to do that. To see how these people, you know, because what they come out in the step, 74, 70 something. People have never seen anything like that before. And I would like to go there and see something like that in theaters during those times. Certain Texas Chainsaw Massacre is another one because they didn't, mm. they were really showing films like they were just getting to that next level of film to where now when you see certain films, you're just like, oh, cool, okay, that's, that's not that outrageous. Especially if you're, if, if you're a horror fan, like all the craziest we've seen over the years, especially from the 80s, you're just like, okay. Yeah. So it'd be cool to see these movies when they came out. like with these people that are just like, oh my god, this is just, we don't get that anymore. That's one thing I do 
wish I got to experience because I was a kid when all that came out. But yeah, it's, it's hard to find things that are that revolutionary or that brand new because we're so desensitized to it and we've seen literally almost anything you could ever think of. Not that I don't know why people think of some of this stuff, and but hey, it creates a genre and you know, fans. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I've yeah. done stuff like with movie theater experiences that kind of even predates that theater experience where there's like a movie theater in um, Jersey City that I think dates back to the vaudeville era mm. and they have like that thing that's not really like an organ really but it looks like an organ that they used to play during the silent films and I went there to see Phantom of the Opera which is a silent film with Lon Chaney Mm. you know and and that i really like because it's like that's like so like i don't know probably like 1920 something you know kind of experience yeah. you know it's like that's a cool. really antiquated experience as a theatrical thing and they had the person playing like the organ thing and they have like the silent film going on and we're all sitting in this theater and it's it's you know and it really encapsulates a certain time period and they had restored the theater to look more or less like it had in that time period and i'm just like wow you know Cool. I get it. Yeah, I, I like I love the nostalgia of things like that, and that's why I was saying with the one theater by me, part of me wishes they would like you know make it nicer and update it some, and then other part of me is like if they did make it nice and update it, but keep the nostalgia look to it, like make it more comfortable at least the seats, but keep the nostalgia like old school look to it because it's just I um I don't know you just, you kind of like that grittiness, especially when it comes to horror. That's again another thing I always say is uh. Like with Blu-rays and DVDs, I wish you could have the option to watch it to where, where it would look how it would look on a VHS, but you're watching on a Blu-ray or DVD. Oh hell no! I'm sorry, you are alone in that sentiment. I will never go back. I nope. <laughs> High definition all the way Blu-ray for me. Crystal clear. I need it. I I love the crystal clearness of it, but at the same time, like a movie like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're watching it on Blu-ray, but then when you go back and when you remember watching it like on VHS. It takes away that grittiness. It kind of takes away the fear a little bit because everything is so clean and pretty. And you see everything. You see, like, Friday, I'll use Friday the 13th because that's my favorite slasher. And it's like you see you see the prettiness of it instead of just, like, the parts that, you know, the VHS would hide because the technology wasn't that great. So you don't see it. It's pretty. It's darker. It's more grim. And now it's just like, okay, I see everything. I know it. I mean, I've seen the movies thousands of times. That's besides the point. But I, I love that grittiness. And if it's like, if again, say you get the Blu-ray or the DVD, you have the option to either watch it the Blu-ray version or or DVD version or the VHS version. So it's not like you have to watch the VHS. You can go back for that nostalgia. You don't have to worry about your your VHS getting chewed up in the VCR because you watched the movie too many times, and you got to take it apart and you know roll it up the big white things, roll it up with a pencil or something to pull it, or your finger pulling it hard trying to save the tape before the thing rips. Yeah, I don't miss that. But I've been getting out the scotch tape, trying to mend it. Hoping that when it does play, it just skips right to that spot where you need it to be. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how technology changes. I was out with a friend recently that's like in his 20s, and he bought like a record from somebody for a couple bucks, and he put it in his car, and it was a hot day. And I, and I happened to say to him, I'm like, Jason, I'm like, you know records melt, right? Yeah, <laughs> Son, did you? He's like, oh my god. He's like, records melt. He's like, I didn't know that. He's like, I put it right in my back window of my car, and it's like 85 oh. degrees. 
That's the worst. So I went up there and it was just starting to like bend. Oh, and stuff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because you realize that records melt, and that's and I said that's why you know I guess it became outdated. And I only knew that because um, I've dated a couple guys um, that were really into like their like record collections, like even to this day that like have, you know like recently that have record collections. Because some people are really just into that vintage stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. They are. You know? Yeah. You know, people are really some people are really into VHS. They're really oh, yeah. into records. They, they even probably cassette tapes, like laser disc, and God knows what. You know, I dated one guy. He had, I think, a collection of like twenty thousand VHS in his basement. Oh, one of the awesome. largest collections around. He was in a documentary on it, and then he also had a record collection. You know, hmm. and you have I, to be so careful with these records, oh, yeah. like buying yeah. them in like at a garage sale or a flea market and you're taking them home what i like, see now I, I want a record player i mean they make them now with bluetooth and all that which is cool but i i what it is with records i like the crackling this stuff i like that crackling at the record like i i love the nostalgia of those things like i mean i couldn't have the twenty thousand vhs's but again you put them on blu-ray you put them on the streaming thing and i know for I guarantee, at least in the horror community, I know this because I see a lot of horror people in the horror community buying VHS tapes, trading VHS tapes, and all that other stuff. So I'm like, I know that if they can get a Blu-ray, and it's like, okay, it'll look just like the VHS. Someone, okay, I'll just, I'll just do this. It'll be easier to get. And again, you have the option of watching it how it was. And same with records. Like I, I, I just like the sound of it. And movies like, um, what was it Insidious? Actually, Insidious and The Conjuring, where they're playing records in the film yeah. with those creepy, creepy scenes or whatever. I love it. Uh, that's like one of my favorite parts of the scenes. And I pointed it out to you the other day, Chris. I'm like, yep. What What I like about those scenes too is they make it important. Like they'll have it as like a happy scene. Say the kids or the mom and dad are listening to the song and they're happy dancing. And then they go to bed. All of a sudden, everybody's in bed, and they hear the record playing. I'm just like, okay, this is wild stuff. But I, I like that. I like that. It's, it's always like that happy song that they make it creepy now. They make it scary now. So like, when people, I'm sure some people hear that song. Like, you know, I heard that in the city, so you got to turn that off now. That's off there. Turn it off. It scares me. Oh man. I know now, Genevieve. I'm sorry. This went longer than I. I told you. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just thinking I need to like eat <laughs> before I get cranky. So we can <laughs> we, we can wrap this up right now. Everybody, Genevieve was. I'm trying to think of where the description is. It's either up top or down below, wherever you're watching, or wherever you're gonna watch in the future. Click the link, follow her on social media, all that stuff. People not in person. That's called stalking. We're not gonna do that. So, but follow her. Make sure you watch her movies, the films that she's in. Make sure you watch that chicken film that I want to see, people, because I'm excited about that. Like, I attack yeah, of the killer chickens. Films, um, you know, I, I look look at my IMDb. Um, right now, I think I have like 109 films on my IMDb. Um, so check them out. Some of them are on Amazon Prime. I think quite a few of them are, probably dozens. And some are probably on Redbox or Netflix and things like that. Some of them are available on DVD. You know, check out some of my work. And if you go on YouTube, you can look at my acting reel. And I think there are some short films that I did as well. Awesome. Awesome. So awesome. go check all those out. And I'd love to get you back on here and review a movie with us one of these days. Sounds good. Sure. Awesome. Awesome. 
Well, I won't, I won't hold you up anymore. Okay, um, so, again, thank so you. I went to the gym right before the interview. I was going to say, yeah, you got you to gotta get that protein. You got to go get that meal. Get back in here. Replenish. Exactly right. Thank you so much, and have a great day. Take care. Take, take, take care. It was a pleasure meeting you. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Nice. All right, Chris, you want to – I'm going to spin the wheel really quick, and then we can – Yeah, be my guest. Screen. And here we what go. We got, what we got? What we got? It'll be something if it's unholy because a lot of times I've been putting like somebody's like put a wheel, uh, it just oh, you up. put it on the wheel. Yeah, I I was doing it. Yeah, yep. Nice, nice. I was like, just because I've been meaning to do. Uh -oh. Oh, <laughs> it almost landed on it too. What is that? Thirteen ghosts. Thirteen, but it's from the nineteen sixties. The original. Thirteen ghosts from the nineteen sixties. Oh, um, if you like those old school movies, man, yeah, like House on Haunted Hill and shit, yeah, you're gonna enjoy it. Kyle, you know Kyle, he's the one who uh, suggested this movie, and Kyle actually said he'll be on Thursday. So awesome, awesome. Thirteen Ghosts. Thirteen Ghosts. This is what we're reviewing next. James and Kyle, make sure you guys are ready. I'll be ready. Chris, you be ready. I'll watch it. I love, like I said, I love the Thirteen Ghosts. It's literally one of my favorite movies. The the remake with uh, the guy who played Sha Shaggy and Scooby Doo. Oh, I don't like that. But I like uh, that. Yeah, still, but one of my favorite horror movies. That, no, it was good, and that's a movie that I feel would be a dope. Um, they need either series or mini series or something going more in depth into the stories of the ghosts. I, th I that's what I was gonna say. I think a series. Would be the best would be the best way to do it, and I say that because you figure you can do a series, you can do an episode, say you can do an hour episode, you can do a forty five minute episode, but you can focus it on each ghost, each one episode per ghost to kind of see like how they got to where they're at. Save the girl ghost for last because that's like the most popular one. But say you start out with you start out with them maybe being a ghost, and within like the first 15, 10, 15 minutes of it. And then it goes into how they became the ghosts, and then and how the hell did they even get trapped and end up there yeah, in the house? Exactly. And like, There's so much you can do with that. Why, why did the, why did they get picked to be the ones that were caged in the house? Yeah, and then how you know the people come and see like then you can see like after they get those trapped in the house, like because you know how the people go to the house and all this other stuff, all that stuff that happened in the movie. You can make that episode. What make it more so is like maybe more people go there, maybe more people die there, and all kinds of craziness and just. Yeah, they could do it. I think they oh, should they, do. They it. can. If they want to. They should. I. I like. I said. Uh, Thirteen Ghosts. I saw it in the theaters when it first came out. One of, to me, the scariest experiences I've ever had in a theater. I loved it, and to this day, still certain spots in that movie still get me like, GB creepy crawly feeling, hair raised down my arms yeah. and back. Like, dude, it, it's a dope movie, and the effects with like the glasses and shit, like for the time that it was. I, they did a really great job to me. I agree. Like I said, one, one of my favorite, one of my favorite horror movies, period. Besides, Agre obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street. Which, yeah. Agre I, th I think they did a really good job with it as well. And I feel that um, I think a series would do justice more than a movie because in a movie, you figure it's an hour and a half to two hours. You can only tell so much because you have to you have to throw all that clump together versus <laughs> a series. 
season one, 13 episodes, you're you're figuring out who the ghosts are. It's like an origin story of, of each of them. Mm-hmm. Season two can kind of get more into more into depth of everything. You could do like two, you could make like a three season thing, three, four season thing, two, three, four seasons, and be do done with stages, it. They just do it as like their normal human life, their transition to the afterlife, and then how they get caught and how they go on thing. And then when they break yeah. loose in the house, like break it all up into three segments of this story. Exactly. I mean, you want to sh- Netflix. Are you listening? <laughs> if yeah, you no. made Army of the Dead, you can make the 13 Ghost Priest. You can. But uh, with that being said, people. Are we actually going to rate this movie or no? We were just, it was just the interview tonight. Um, we can rate you wanna, it. You want to watch it again? You want to watch it again? I get I, it. I watch it again, but we can rate it. We can rate it. I know James gave it an eight. James gave it an eight. What do you give it? I, I like you said. I was in the middle. I was like today. I was right around a six and a half, seven. I'm gonna land right on the seven, just because of all the undertones and stuff that I picked up on. And then, like, yeah, she verified them, and then she said a couple of things. So I don't know if you guys were listening, but when you watch the movie and you pick up on some of the things that we discussed, and she said, like, one of the things is, I'm just gonna say the vault. You pick up what she said about the vault and what's going on, you'll realize probably where the story's going or what what's perpetuating for the prequels or whatnot. I'm telling you, it's, it should click if you watch the movie with the detail. Pay attention at the vault. I'm with you on that. Honestly, my initial rating for this movie was a four. <laughs> I'll bump it up to a five. And then once I give it a rewatch, I'm not going to re... Uh, what's the word? I'm not going to re-review it, but... If I think about it, when I do a rewatch, I'll give you guys an update on how I feel about the movie. I still feel like even with the undertones and stuff, I thought it was, you know, it made it more entertaining for me. But still, if it was more geared horror based, I would Correct. enjoy it more. Yep. That's where I'm at with it as well. Because like you said, like you said it initially when you first started watching it, you just texted me. and was like, this honestly feels more like an action flick. And literally within 10 minutes of me watching the movie i was like okay so this is going to be an action film because it's you know like you said it's daytime all the time um you know there's a lot going on as far as action you're there's character development or whatnot but then it turns into it's a heist movie there's a job to get done here's why we're going in and it has nothing to do with scares and jumps and you know visceralness and it's just okay here's the zombies here's how it works in this world here's what we're gonna go do and we have a job to do so the focus of the movie is the job and then you get the relationships as that underlining focus underneath that you know what i mean but yeah like you said totally 100 percent action movie has zombies in it and has elements of horror shot to it you know what i mean as far as the scenes and the way it's shot it's some people might say this is a simple and this will be my last thing before we bounce Oh, I'm tired. I'm hot. I got to stick out. But, uh, but no, um, what I was going to say is even if this movie was shot at night, that right there would have made it better for me. Yeah. That right there would have made it a little bit better for me just because it would have made it, you know, just that creepier factor. But overall, I had a fun time with the movie. I will say the movie was fun. I'll never tell you not to watch a movie. It wasn't a bad movie. Um, just wasn't for me, but that's not a bad thing. You know, not everything's for everybody. I but say you go, got through it at least. Yeah, at, at the very least, go check it out. See how you feel about it. And be here for Thursday when we're reviewing 13 Ghosts from 1960. I can't wait for that. Chris, I want to thank you again for popping on, man. I was just going to thank you, sir. So uh, you're going to have to come on for like a, an initial review review now. 
and see yeah. how this like is one said, we'll, man. whatever you need. Yeah, man. We'll talk. But uh, everybody out there, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Make sure you go follow Worst Gamer. Worst damn gamer ever, everywhere. Man, yes. It's not E-V-E-R at the end. It's E-V-R. Worst damn gamer ever. Check me out. Peace. That being said, as always, people, I'll see you in your nightmares. And just so nobody calls me out. <laughs> I mean, that pretty much matches the movie cover. That's one. Okay. Here's two. R. Kelly would have peed on some zombies. <laughs> <laughs>